this morning we are in Isaiah chapter 38, and we will cover chapters 38 and 39 this morning. And uh, if you have not been with us during our study through the book of Isaiah, we have gone through every chapter and every verse in the book of Isaiah up to this point. And we've been reading about a story about this man named Hezekiah recently. Hezekiah has been through a lot of stuff. Hezekiah has had uh, the greatest army of his time right outside his door threatening him that he doesn't have much time left before he comes and takes him completely. But the Lord, in his mercy, sent an angel. And that angel went to the army right outside his door and in a moment killed 185,000 people of the army. Pretty amazing. This is how God delivered him. Right after he's delivered from this army, uh, we see that the trouble is not over for Hezekiah. We would think that if we were writing a novel or watching a movie, that was the climax and thing, and then, he, and then it says, and he lived happily ever after. But that didn't happen. So we're going to read a little bit of the resolution to that story today. Um, I want to tell you just quickly about a man who you may know, may not. His name is Jonathan Edwards. You heard of Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards lived, he was born in 1703. So he lived a little, little, little ways ago. When he was 20 years old, he was converted at the age of 17. At the age of 20, three years after his conversion to Christ, he wrote a number of resolutions. That is, things that he was resolved or set upon to do with his life. He, he determined that he was going to do certain things with his life. And so he wrote, a, wrote out resolutions for his life. Did anybody else in this room do that at 20? Have you done it? At, I haven't done it at 34. Uh, I've not wrote resolutions. Maybe I should, but Jonathan Edwards wrote resolutions. And I want to read for you this morning resolution number 52. Yeah, there was a lot of them. Resolution number 52. Listen to what he says. 20-year-old man in the year 1723. Here's what he says. I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved. This is what his resolution is. I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I live to old age. That was his resolution. Basically saying, I've heard older people say, if I could go back and do it over again, here's what I would do different. So he resolved to say, I'm going to live my life in such a way that I can't reflect on my earlier years and say, I wish I had done it this way. But he's resolved to live the way he would have wished to live should he live to old age. Well, here's the thing with Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards did not live to old age. Jonathan Edwards lived only to the age of 54. It makes us contemplate, and I hope the songs have done that for you this morning, the time when it draws near of our death. Have you noticed that in our songs today? We've been talking about the pains of life, the sufferings of life, the sicknesses of life, and death. 
Hezekiah had to come to terms with these realities in this story. And I'd like for us to look and see how he coped with the reality of certain death. Let's look at it. Isaiah chapter 38. Let's begin just by looking at the first three verses here. It says, In those days, of course we know what days those are, when the Lord had miraculously delivered him from the Assyrian army. In those days, Hezekiah became sick, and he was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. And then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed. And he said, Please, O Lord, remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So Hezekiah not only receives the news, or of course he has his sickness and, he, and he's, he's close to death or he can feel it. But not only that, he gets a diagnosis. And it's not from a doctor, but from the Lord himself. So we can be pretty sure of the diagnosis. And the Lord says to him this, You will die. You are not going to recover. So set your affairs in order. What else could you do in that moment but what Hezekiah did and pray? You know what he did? He prayed and he wept. Would we do anything different? Maybe some of you have experienced this. We need to be prepared to fight battles in life in whatever form they come and however frequently they come on our life. Did Hezekiah just go through something terrible? <laughs> I could say that none of us, I think, have gone through something like this man has gone through. And so we think it's over. And the Lord delivers him. And haven't you been at that point to where you say, yes, thank you, Lord, that you've delivered me. And now let me get on with life, only to be hit again with a devastation. Has that ever happened to you? Well, it happened to Hezekiah. Hezekiah just experienced great joy, victory, at the miraculous power of God Almighty. And then immediately he becomes sick to the point of death. And not only that, the Lord says, you are going to die. So set your affairs in order. Let's make a couple statements here to rightly understand the story and the concepts. First is this. And you can follow in your notes. The first is this. God is perfectly sovereign over life and death. Now you may ask, why did I put the word perfectly in there? Because doesn't the word sovereign assume perfect? But it doesn't, because kings are sovereign. Sovereign over nations, sovereign over people, in a sense. But they are not perfectly sovereign. God is perfectly sovereign. There is no one who can stand against his rule. And in this case, no one can stand against his rule concerning what? Life and death. Is that a biblical principle? I want to read for you a few passages here just to remind us who has the power of life and death. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. That's two ways of saying the same thing. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. See now that I, even I, am he, 
and there is no God beside me. I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. That goes back a ways. And in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, yet as there was none of them. So before we were even formed, the Lord's book had the number of your days written already. Job chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. I'll end with this one. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. To that we say, yes. Amen. That is true. He comes out like a flower and then withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. And so here's what he says. Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. This should tell us conclusively that our God is sovereign, perfectly sovereign over life and death, and there is no one and nothing that can change that. The day of your death is just as determined as the day of your birth. So we can rest assured that when the day of our death comes, it comes this way. At the good, merciful, faithful, loving, sovereign, gracious hand of God. That's how our death comes. Because He is good. And His ways are higher than our ways. Even in our death, certainly. So Hezekiah responds, I receive my death sentence, as maybe we will also one day. Maybe not. It may catch us off guard, but certainly it never catches the Lord off guard. Hezekiah says, what have I done? I have only done what's good in your sight. Why would you send sickness on me, Lord? Do you hear that in his complaint? Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. He prayed, verse 3. Remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart. I've done what is good in your sight. Now, reflecting back on Hezekiah's life, is that completely true? No. Was he a good king? Yes. Was he a perfect king? No. Was he perfectly good? No. He was a man. But it will be our temptation to say, Lord, why me? Why me? Why now? What have I done to deserve this? You've done everything to deserve it. You have sinned against the holy God of the universe. You have disgraced Him. You have walked in a life of disobedience to Him. In sin did your mother conceive you. There is no one righteous, not even one. What have you done to deserve death? Everything. What have you done to deserve life? Nothing. So we have to ask a question here, I think, necessarily. 
What is the connection? Have you ever wondered this? Maybe you have. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've, you've come to terms with this, biblically speaking. What is the connection between sickness and sin? Is there one? Have you considered that? <laughs> That's all right. Why do, I'd rather have the beeping than the scorching temperatures. Anybody else agree with me? Okay. <clears throat> if you were here last week, you understand that. So what is the connection between sickness and sin? Is there one? Well, yes, there is a connection between sickness and sin. Um, in fact, if there was no connection between sickness and sin, sickness would seemingly not exist. But because there is a connection between sin and sickness, that's the very reason that sickness exists. Okay, so let's, let's look at why. There is a typo in your bulletin before you come and tell me about it. I've already changed it, okay? Sickness is a universal experience due to sin. That's number one. There's a second part to this. Sickness is a universal experience due to sin. That is universal. That is saying it affects everyone. One day, we will die of some kind of bodily ailment. We understand that's what we mean by sickness, generally speaking, right? For example, if, my, if, if a body part gets cut off, I'm going to include that in sickness, okay? That my body is, has some kind of ailment to it, okay? So you will die someday, as will I, let's come to terms with it, due to some kind of bodily ailment. If no one's ever told you that, I'm sorry to break the news to you. That's how it's going to happen. Why is that the case? Well, just a couple of passages. I think we know this, but let's just be reminded. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. And when they ate, did death enter into the world? Yes, and with that, all forms of sickness and bodily ailments came along with it. If sin had not happened, this is what we call original sin, right? if sin had not happened, then it would not come as a curse to all who are now conceived in sin. Okay, The sin of Adam, the sin of Eve, has now come down to each individual who has been born, and along with that, also decay and sickness and imperfections. If you've never realized why the world is so broken and sickness is so prevalent and there are so many bad things happening in this life, it's all because of sin. It's a very simple answer. Why are you dissatisfied with life? Sin. Why can't I kick this addiction? Sin. Why am I afraid of death? Sin. Why, why did my dad just die? Or my sister? Sin. That's the answer. Romans 5.12, just, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, it was not just the fact that Adam sinned, and because he was guilty, it made all of us guilty. No, we are guilty on our own account. The thing is that humankind became cursed, and now 
all our desires are to only sin all the time. That is, until we have faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit enters in, regenerates us, and our very desires are changed by the Spirit of God inside of us. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Paul says, So we do not lose heart. You might say, well, with everything you've told me so far this morning, I'm about ready to give up because it sounds like life is basically hopeless and it's going to be bad and full of trouble and we're going to die one day. Uh, Yes, but as Paul says, we do not lose heart. And listen to what he says. Though our outer self is wasting away, we agree, and this is why, because of sin, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, my body, your body, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. That is, they're not going to last, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Where is my gaze fixed? On my life, on my body, on these ailments, on the sickness? Because one day all that's going to go away. And then finally, Revelation 21, 3 and 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will, listen to what he will do. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No more. No more illness, no more sickness, no more troubles. But it's all gone. Is that the day you're looking forward to? Isn't it hard, though, going through these times of suffering, to not think about the now rather than the later? But Paul says, though we don't lose hope, because we're not fixed on what is seen, but we are fixed on what is unseen. But let's look at the other side. So sin is certainly as a universal experience due to sin. But sickness, rather. Sickness can also, though, be a particular experience due to sin. And here's what I mean by that. I'll read two passages. The first is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 29 and 32. And you have all these references in your bulletin there to go back and look at them. I hope you do. It says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we had judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. There is one sense in which sin brings about the discipline of the Lord on our lives by means of sickness, weakness, illness. Is it possible that the Lord could bring about bodily ailment because of sin in your life? The answer is yes. I want to read another one for you. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. I think we, first of all, before I move on, take that more to heart. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Rather than ignoring God, praise Him. Verse 14, is any among you sick? Here's here's the call. 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, that is, he was a man, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins." If you are wandering, falling into habits of sin, the call to the community of believers is to run after them and grab them. The particular context here is that if you have fallen into sin, it may be that that sin is accompanied with ailments on your life. And if that is the case, then call for the elders. That is, get back in your community. And call the elders and have them pray. And if this is due to sin, you will be forgiven. I want to read here. This is from Johnny Erickson Tata. She, by the way, if you're not familiar with her, she became a quadriplegic at the age of 18 when she dove into some water. And then she's also had cancer. Uh, Lots of suffering there. Had a great ministry. But here's what she says, very short quote. A woman acquainted with suffering. None of us in our culture of comfort know how to prepare ourselves for dying. But that's what we should do every day. Every single day we die a thousand deaths. If you're struggling to know what that means, that means we die to self every day single day. I am not my own anyway. I am the Lord's. And whether I live or I die, I am the Lord's. So it will become very evident that if you just can't cope, if you can't see past the ailment, maybe it's because your focus is on your life. Maybe it's because the focus is on I'm living for me, and if I die, how can I live for me any longer? But if your hope is set on the future in heaven, and you say, I'm going to die, but now I will live forever with the Lord, and I will praise Him better than I ever have before. So two ways sickness can come about. One, we all get sick. It's not necessarily because you have had a particular sin in your life that the Lord is disciplining. Not necessarily. That's why we have the if there in James. But it could be that the Lord has sent sickness on your life because of particular sin. And we get that out of both of the passages I've read to you, 1 Corinthians 11 and James 5. Now, when we look at Hezekiah's situation... In those days, Hezekiah became sick and he was at the point of death. And he wept bitterly and he said, I have done nothing wrong to deserve this. First of all, we know that he's wrong in saying that. 
because he's done everything to deserve it. But we don't know yet why or if the sin is necessarily because of a, or the sickness is because of a particular sin in his life or if it's just, he's just sick because people get sick. We don't know. Let's, let's continue to read. Verse 4 in Isaiah 38. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go, say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. And behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. Now, that's great news. Except now, I know that 15 years is all I've got. So now, every day I'm living, one side of me says, well, I know today I'm not going to die, and I know next year I'm not going to die because the Lord has given me 15 years to live. Now, he hasn't promised any kind of quality of life, has he? He said, I'm not going to give you 15 years of bliss, but what he has said is I will give you 15 years of life. Now, what will Hezekiah do with that 15 years? But let's just be reminded of what we talked about in Isaiah 37, just a principle here, and this is in uh, your notes. This is word for word what we said in your notes when we were in Isaiah 37, is that God is determined to use the prayers of his people to accomplish his sovereign purposes. And what that means is this, is that did Hezekiah change the mind of God? Did Hezekiah create new and fresh purposes in the mind of God? And he said, whoa, well, I, I mean, I was going to let you die. But you prayed, and I, I guess I'm going to have to change things. Is that how God works? Now, 2 Kings 20. You'll notice at the top of your bulletin, I have in, in parentheses there two other texts. And again, because there's parallel uh, accounts of this story. And in 2 Kings 20, there's some details added here um, that I think we just really need to, to look at for a second. So I'm going to read the same narrative out of 2 Kings 20, just a few verses, because it adds some details. Listen to what it says. Now, now, O Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart. I've done what's good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. We've already read that. That's real similar. And before Isaiah had gone out of the court, the word of the Lord came to him. So this is new. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. That's significant. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. And on the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city. Why? For my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David. Why is David mentioned? For a very particular reason. You may not know. At this point in time, Hezekiah had no children. And what had God promised? that there was going to be a king come from the line of David, and, and if he had gone, then there would be something broken here. God would not have been able to fulfill his purposes perfectly. Is our God the kind of God that's not okay with his promises not being fulfilled perfectly, or does he go way beyond to make sure that his promises are fulfilled perfectly? Now, that's the kind of God we have, isn't it? Matthew 1, 9 through 11. I'm sure you've had lots of you know, devotional time in this. It's, uh, it, it's just genealogy. It's just listing names. Uh, Matthew 1, 9 through 11, but listen to the names listed. 
Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Who is at the end of this genealogy? Oh, please tell me you know. Jesus, through Hezekiah. If Hezekiah had died, the line would have been broken. God is good. God is perfectly sovereign over his creation. Hezekiah did not form fresh, purpose, or fresh purposes in the mind of God, but, has, but God used Hezekiah's prayer to accomplish his purpose because he knew Hezekiah wasn't going to die, but he used his prayer to accomplish his purpose. It's amazing, isn't it? Amazing. If you're not amazed by that, read it again. You need to be because only God can do this. The Lord extended his life by 15 years. Manasseh began to reign at 12 years old when, when he died. That means that three years after this event, his son was born. Amazing. So God remained faithful to his purposes while accomplishing spiritual good in the life of Hezekiah. Not only was God concerned with the genealogy coming down to Jesus, but he was also concerned about spiritual good in the life of Hezekiah. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Just two things to consider there, that his prayer displays what? Reliance on God, and his tears display repentance. And how do we know repentance? We're going to read that here in just a second. His prayer displays reliance on the Lord, and his tears repentance. I want to read a short quote here from J.C. Ryle. Listen to this. This is good. No doubt we all prefer to learn spiritual lessons in the school of ease and not under the rod. Agreed? Lord, teach me when times are good. And let me to learn there. Can we just learn and everything is okay? Uh, teach me while things are happy. You know, help me to understand who you are, your character, my sinfulness, while things are good. Uh, is that the way that it goes? Well, we learn some things, don't we? But when do we really learn? He says, but rest assured, God knows better than we do how to teach us. Isn't that the case? The light of the last day will show that there was a meaning and a need be. Listen, I'm going to read that again. The light of the last day will show that there was meaning and a need be in all of your bodily ailments. The lessons that we learn on the sickbed when we are shut out from the world are often lessons we would never learn elsewhere. God is good. His ways are so, so much higher than our ways. I would not choose sickness. Oh, I do not like being, is made in here? I do not like, I'm, I'm the worst when I'm sick. Because, oh, what an inconvenience sickness is. <laughs> I got stuff to do. I don't like being sick. And so I mope around. I can't do anything. You know, I can't, I can't move. I can't do anything. I'm helpless. This is the case. I mean, I'm, I'm freely admitting it. I will try to be better at that, but I just, I am pathetic when I'm sick. And uh, even, I mean, even just a little, little bit sick, by the way. I, I just, I can't cope with it. And, uh, but isn't it the case that the Lord brings us down to a point? Do you remember when we talked about the Valley of Vision? Oh, I hope you were there for that. The Lord brings us down into a valley so that we can do nothing but what? Look up. You may be in a valley today, 
Do you know what the Lord desires? That you would look up and that you would see nothing but Him. That's what He desires. He wants your heart today. Look up at Him. Or that valley may go deeper than you think. Last one here, and we're going to move on in our text, and we're going to move a little bit quicker in our text because you're probably wondering how are we getting all the way through chapter 39 today. Uh, we will. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. It says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Now, this is Paul speaking. He says he's had a surpassing greatness. The Lord Jesus has appeared to Paul and actually taught him. So he was an apostle taught right directly from Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, I could have become very conceited. He said, but to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Does Paul have a good theology of prayer? What do you think, yes or no? <laughs> yes. Paul knows how prayer works. Paul knows that God can hear once. He can hear a prayer whispered in the mind and in the heart. But yet he pleads with the Lord three times, just making sure, three times that, that it should leave him. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Listen to what he's content with now. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Lord in his goodness and his graciousness to us breaks us in the way he sees fit so that we might not rely on ourselves, our own strength, our own wisdom, but might rely on Him. He is a good God. He knows how to teach us. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Isaiah 38, 7 and 8. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord. The Lord will do this thing that He has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial ten steps by which it had declined. And then he moves on as if that's a normal thing. He just keeps going. What just happened? Did you, did you read it with me? I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. Don't you realize that in order for that thing to turn back ten steps, that the sun has to move in the sky? That's the only way to accomplish that. Either, or either that earth has to move, something has to move. Right? Here's, here's the, the parallel account because it actually gives us a little bit more information. 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 9 through 11. It says, And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, it's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen 10 steps. That's further in the day. Rather, let the shadow go back 10 steps. Then we'll have to reverse time. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back 10 steps by which he had gone down the steps of Ahaz. 
So no one really knows what this thing looked like, but there were evidently there was some kind of sundial that had to do with steps, and uh, the sun would come over certain, the shadows would come over certain steps, and it would show you what time of the day it was, and it actually went in reverse, and this was the sign, but let's, let's see how that sign parallels, um, how that sign parallels his situation. God was showing Hezekiah that all things must bow at his command, including time and death. So just as he can give light, he can take light away. Just as he can give the sun, he can take the sun away. Just as he can give life, he can take life away. He was showing Hezekiah his greatness through this situation. And he saw it. I'd like to now, I have a, uh, um, a summary here uh, of Hezekiah's prayer. I'm going to read that for you. He says, My sickness was brought on by the very hand of God, and I cried out to him that he would heal me. That's in verses 10 through 16. God has delivered me from my sickness, but my sickness was not meaningless. I was humbled, and I was able to see the mercy of God and the forgiveness of my sins. That's verse 17. And from now on, I will give thanks to God and sing praises to him. You can see that in verses 18 through 20. But we still have to ask the question, what was his sin? What was his sin? And now we look, let's look at verses 1 through 8 in chapter 39. This is how it ends. At that time, Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, knew threat. Right? Before, we were concerned with the king of Assyria. So, entering a new phase here. Now, all of a sudden, the king of Babylon, they are rising to power. Set, set un, uh, envoys with letters to, and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. And here's what Hezekiah did. He showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. And there was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Sound like a good thing or a bad thing so far? Then, Hezekiah, then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and he said to him, What did these men say? And where did they come? Why did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They came to me from a far country from Babylon. He said, Why have they, uh, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, all the stuff that you just bragged about, and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your own sons who will come from you, remember he didn't have a son at this time, but he was saying he would. Some of your sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. I want to say this about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was proud of his success and prosperity. Who delivered him? The Lord. 
Who had protected his storehouses and all of his treasures? The Lord. In fact, it says in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 31, And so in the matter of the envoys sent from the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to inquire about the sign that the Lord had done in the land, Here's the, he's saying why he did this. This is 2 Chronicles 32, verse 31. God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Hezekiah failed. He failed the test. So we see success. When sickness came on him, this is just summarizing, sickness came on him. He prayed to the Lord, Lord, what have I done? And then he has this prayer. He kind of confesses and he, he trusts in the Lord. I want to praise you all my days. And so the Lord adds 15 years to his life. Great. He's moved on. Then another test comes. And then after he's recovered, this king, or this, these people come from a distant country, Babylon. And he says, hey, while you're here, let me show you how great I am. Let me show you all the stuff I've got. And he shows them all this story. And Isaiah comes and he says, what did you show him exactly? I said, oh, I showed him everything. I did a tour throughout my palace, and I showed him every single thing I had to brag about. And I looked good. And then Isaiah says this, the days are coming when all of this will be carried away to a foreign land. And the sons that you have will not have these things, but instead your very sons are going to serve in a different kingdom. It's all going away. God uses trials in our life for the sake of testing our faith. That's a lesson we already know, isn't it? Was God doing this in the life of Hezekiah? I want to end with just a couple of passages here. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Is bodily illness a trial? Yes. Trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it may be that when a trial comes, you don't learn from it. Let it have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Otherwise, wave after wave, of that thing is going to hit you by the grace of God. Because he wants you to be there. He is preparing his bride. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, it may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your grievings and your trials in this life are to test you and try you like unrefined gold in a furnace. These things are being melted away from you and it hurts. Finally, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But that's exactly what we think, isn't it? Why, is, why me, Lord? Why is all this happening to me? 
Why is life the way that it is? Thing after thing, I wake up to trouble after trouble. You think this is strange? Or maybe we need to have a better perspective on what the Lord is actually doing in your life. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's glories, sufferings. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We are called as Christians to live a life of suffering. And this life of suffering makes us more like Christ. And when we suffer, we share in his likeness because he suffered more greatly than we ever could. When we become more like Christ, prepare for suffering. But when suffering comes, don't act as though something strange is happening to you, a foreign thing, something outside of God's control. No. This is the goodness of God on display. We need to change our perspective. Someone remind me of this sermon when I get sick. I'm serious. We will forget, and our perspective will change. Our eyes will be taken off of Christ and on our body and on our sickness and on our pain and on our misery. Please help me to put my eyes on Christ when that time comes, as I hope to do for you. Psalm 26, 2, prove me, O Lord. Try me. Test my heart and my mind. And prepare for suffering. I'm going to end with one passage. It's the last passage I'll direct you to. This is Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. In him also, when you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, that you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. We can't leave this without remembering of our poor, sick, dead spiritual state before Christ. We were as sick as you could get spiritually. And in our sickness, we found healing. We found healing in Christ. That healing is reflected in the inner man, not the outer man. That healing is reflected in the soul. That's why it's okay and we can let our body go as we embrace Christ and we rejoice in him together.